I'm going to say it again. God is so good, isn't he? How often? All right. All the time he's good. Now, is that when we like what he's doing? Oh. Whether we like it or not, he's good, right? He didn't say everything would feel good, but he would work all things together for our good. Amen? And so the issue is whether we're just going to trust him. And like that song said, if we're going to praise him, worship him, bow down before him, and when necessary, just stand still and let him do what only he can do. Hallelujah. Those of you who uh, brought your Bibles, I would ask you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. That's right, I'm going Old Testament on you today. Uh, I'm continuing this message series called Wise as Serpents and Harmless as Doves. Today's story is going to take a little bit uh, different emphasis uh, than last week where we focused more on those outside the faith. And if you would just join me in a brief word of prayer, we'll go ahead and get directly into the word of God. Father God, thank you already for what you've done, how you've moved on our hearts, Lord. You've already prepared us to receive your word. And we know that your word does not return unto you void. So I thank you in advance, Father God, for the good soil that it's received on in and the fruit that shall be born for your glory in the lives of the hearers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'll start 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting in the first verse. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lying his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Now, Before we go on further and we read David's response, I just want to take a couple of minutes to clue you in to what happened in the previous chapter leading up to this moment. This chapter and this story comes immediately after we learn that David committed adultery with Bathsheba, one of his faithful men of war, after fighting the David's battle. He committed adultery with her, got her pregnant. And upon finding out that he got her pregnant, he orders the husband from the field of battle. Now, in a battle, numbers matter. If you take someone off the field, you want it to be for a good reason. How many of you know this was not a good reason to take a man off the battlefield? That one man could have made the difference in the outcome of the battle. 
And David, who was a man after God's own heart, wasn't that in this moment. How many of you know we're not perfect? Many of flaws are represented in this room, and I'm not here. I probably got more than all of you. Just ask Mrs. Cannon. My life is filled with mistakes and regrets and, 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 and hurts and different things that, that God has redeemed me out of. And it is by his grace and his mercy that I am who I am today. It's the, it's the redeeming power of the, of the Lord that has transformed my life. And so I serve as a testimony to those who are wondering how God looks at you, how he feels about you, what his plans are for you, what he can do in your life. He's our redeemer. He's our savior. He is the one who can take the ashes of our life and make something beautiful out of them. So we have here David. And David, I tell you what, he's in the hall of faith. God did great things through him. And I love it that the Bible doesn't just show the beautiful aspects of, of our lives. He doesn't just give us the impression that David was this God that was always on cloud nine and always walking perfectly before God. It, it, it gives us a sneak peek into his life and shows us his own struggles, his own sins, his own personal issues. He was not always a godly man. So he gets her pregnant. And he's still not repentant. He covers it up. He tries to cover it up. He gets Uriah brought and does everything he can to butter him up, shower him with praise, and, and to get him to sleep with his wife. So that he can be deceived into believing when he's back home from the battle, that the baby that she had was his. But Uriah wouldn't even sleep in his own house. He couldn't, while his fellow men were out there on the battle in discomfort, sleeping in tents and on the ground, he could not enjoy the pleasures of his home or the pleasures of his wife. He was a loyal, faithful soldier. So David lies to him and says, you know what? Stay in the palace tonight. Tomorrow I'll send you back to the battle. But David had no intention at first to send him to the battle. David got him drunk and tried a second time to get him to go and be with his wife. And the man slept with David's servants. Instead, and upon finding that out, David, this is how cold, he's still not sorry. He doesn't see his sin for what it is. He's justifying it in his own mind somehow. So his plan A failed. He sent Uriah back to the battlefield. But here's what he did. He sent him back with the written message. Now, Uriah is the one delivering the message. He sends the message via Uriah to his captain that orders his execution. So David sent an execution order, unbeknownst to him, but, but he sent an execution order by the man who was to be executed. This is King David. 
He's a believer. He's a man of God. King Jesus is descended from his bloodline. But here we have a murderous adulterer. And, and he didn't murder an enemy. He murdered a loyal, faithful man of God. Now, Uriah, when he, even in his drunken state, would not sleep in his own home, he said it was because his men, his fellow soldiers, were out there sleeping in uncomfortable quarters, but also that the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, he wasn't going to sleep in a more comfortable dwelling place when even the Ark of the Covenant was out there on the battlefield in a tent. So he was thinking of, he was thinking of God and thinking of others above himself while his king is doing the opposite. David did all of that. What that that tells me, he is living in unrepentant sin at this point. A man of God, but living in unrepentant sin. He's not sorry at all for what he's done. He somehow concocted a false narrative in his mind where each of his evil deeds are justified. And God sends a messenger named Nathan to pierce that false narrative bubble that David is living in so that he can see the truth concerning his sin. So in last week's sermon, we learned in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, that we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Imploring people on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. In this situation, Nathan is acting as God's ambassador to me. But instead of blurting out to David that he's in blatant sin, Nathan tells him a story. Now, he could have came in there and just fired away on him. And and that could have gone very badly for Nathan because I can tell you David was not in a place to hear it. Think about it. You don't commit adultery, find out that she's pregnant, try to... Pull a man off the battlefield in hopes that he will be with his wife and falsely believe that he impregnated her. And then after he decides not to do that, you send him back with an execution letter. That's not a guy who is open to being challenged by the truth directly. And since he's the king, That may be the last time you confront somebody with the truth. Because he has the power to extinguish Nathan without worrying about any consequence according, according to man. So God sends his ambassador, Nathan, and Nathan comes at him with a story. So let's go on in the story. So the rich man took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. This rich man had an abundance of his own lambs, and he took the lamb of the poor man who only had one. Upon hearing this story, verse 5, then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Wow. So David still, it hadn't hit him yet. 
the similarities, the, the parallels of the story that Nathan is telling him and what he's just done. If he was the subject of the story, he may have stopped it. I don't, I don't want to hear this. Get out of my face. But he was, he, was, he was willing to hear that story. And it really pricked his heart. And he was able to recognize that the behavior in that story was sinful. He saw the sin of it in another context. Which then Nathan used to help him see his own sin. Nathan said to David, you are the man. See, now Nathan started off with a story, but now he's boldly hidden in between the eyes because now David has already heard the story and he has judged the rich man guilty and worthy of death. And that revelation emboldens Nathan to say, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this was too little, I would add to you as much more. Think about that. If this wasn't enough, all this that I just told you I gave you, I would have doubled it. I would have given you as much more than what I just declared to you. So strongly was my favor and, and, and blessing and anointing upon you. This is, I would have done that if this wasn't enough. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. You used the enemy's swords to murder this man that you have already wronged and sinned against. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. Now, he still remained a man of God. God still did great things through, uh, uh, to him and through him. But he faced for the rest of his life the consequences of his sin. He destroyed a marriage. He destroyed a family. For nothing other than his own sinful pleasure. To feed his own selfish desires. He thought nothing of destroying a family. He's the king. He did, he was capable of doing it and he did it. So everything we read about the family issues that, 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 that David had, all the drama that happened in his life, it was prophesied right here that that's what it was going to be as a consequence of his sin. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. He had a son do to him what he did to Uriah. He had a son fight him for the kingdom. The kingdom became divided. He had a brother rape a sister. And then another brother killed that brother because David didn't do anything. You know why I think David didn't do anything? Because he knew what it, he knew what it was the fruit of. Of his own sinful actions. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord for the first time. It started with the story that David didn't know 
was essentially about him. Sometimes we got to get creative in presenting the truth. We don't always have to be a, a bull in a, in a china shop. We don't always have to, you know, hit people over the forehead with the Bible. Whenever, we, whenever God puts them on our hearts and, and leads us to them, to, to, to really confront them with the truth. There's, different, there's various ways to speak the truth in love. In this case, it was a story that got buy-in from the sinner. That guy's a sinner. He deserves to have the book thrown at him. Well, you're that guy. Oops. But that's the objective in every case. We're not trying to win an argument. We're trying to reach a heart. We're trying to pierce whatever lies, whatever deceptions, whatever justifications, whatever it is that's allowing that person to live in their own little world of deception, justifying stuff that is not justifiable, Somehow, by the grace and power of God, in love, we've got to pierce through that and inject truth designed to prick the heart and bring about repentance. It's easy to judge, man. It was easy for David to judge the rich man in that story. A lot harder for him to see that he was that rich man, just as guilty before God. And, and we've got to understand that too. Just because it's obvious to us doesn't mean it's so obvious to the individual that we are to bring truth to. And so the what to say is important, but the how to deliver it is just as important. And we need to be praying to God and asking God to give us wisdom and insight so that we can be as wise as serpents but harmless as doves because we want to reach the heart of this individual that we know right now is not in God's is not walking right with God not in his will verse 13 David said to Nathan I've sinned against the Lord and Nathan said to David the Lord also has put away your sin you shall not die Remember, before Christ came and paid for our sins, you, you, when you were guilty of any part of the law, you were guilty of the whole law, and the wages of sin is death. A sin of that nature should have really brought about David's death. But you see the grace of God, the mercy of God, even in the Old Testament. Because he said, I, he has put your sin away. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. So he delivered the message God wanted him to deliver, and he went home. Man, you know, stories are powerful. We can receive powerful truths through stories that we wouldn't receive in conversation. You know, Hind's Feet, High Places, Chronicles of Narnia, I mean, any other, any other books you want to come up with, they have, they've really blessed us and communicated some amazingly powerful messages to us as we have read them, that these truths have we've carried with us throughout our lives. So I just wanted to restate something that I, see, I believe bears restating, but after Nathan reveals that the story is actually about David, 
He explains the true meaning of that story. And he does not shy away from what the consequences will be. You know, we don't have to tell people, look, forget that song, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Sometimes you just need to give the medicine. And we don't need to sugarcoat it. Right? Hey, hey, you're going to get through this. You know, maybe everything's not going to be all right. Maybe everything's not going to end up the way you wanted it to, but you're going to get through this. Yes, some of what you're facing are the consequences of your choices. And I'm sorry, but you can't pray to avoid things that you behaved your way into. Right? So if we behaved in a certain way, there's going to be a certain consequences, but that doesn't make that situation unredeemable. Just think of salvation. Look, because of what happened in the Garden of Eden, we were born into sin. And that meant anyone who is separated from God, you were doomed to eternity, to an eternity of damnation, an eternity in a lake of fire separated from God. Unless we believe in him whom he sent. Right? And that's just the way it was. The consequences or wages of sin is death. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. Right? And we can entertain nonsense like, well, I can't believe a loving God will commit somebody to hell. No, 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 no. Let me tell you the truth. The loving God isn't one sending you to hell or committing you to hell. If you're presented with the truth and you reject that truth, you have sent yourself there. And let's just be real about this. Y'all can give me a couple extra minutes. Let's just be real about this. Hell was never meant for you and I. It was meant for the devil, Satan, and his angels who rebelled against God. Satan went into, used the serpent to go into the Garden of Eden and to inject that same rebellion into mankind to pull us into his rebellion and his judgment. So it's a lie from Satan to try and put all the all of the blame on God and just say, no, it's, it's, he's a loving God. He can't put you there. That's, that's easy for the one who tempted us into sin to put that judgment on us to say. Because it avoids blame. It avoids his blame. That tree was in the garden the whole time. And God made it clear, don't eat it. And they didn't have a problem until the serpent came in one day and changed the perspective. It made it seem like God wasn't telling them the whole truth. Sin entered in. And it doesn't matter how sorry we were. It doesn't matter uh, how many positive things someone could say. The situation was what it was. We couldn't change it, but God could. And he loved us so much that he did. Are you hearing me? And he loves you enough to redeem your story. Yeah, David had all kinds of drama in his house. His family line suffered many things because of what he did to Uriah, what he did to that family. But you know, the promise of God in his life still stood. The family line of that man includes the birth 
of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So even in the worst, even despite the worst deeds that we've done, God's redemption is available to us. Amen? And that's good to know. It's good to know that if we really mess up that badly, that God's love and God's grace and God's mercy can still transform our lives and he can redeem us and use us for his glory. And I think that we don't need to be shy about giving the unadulterated truth to people. Nathan did it to David, and we can do it today. As long as we're not doing it as people's judges, we're not doing it on our high horses, we're, we're, we're actually led of the Lord as we do it, and we're endeavoring to do it, to speak the truth in love, that the person's heart might be reached because we're partnering with the heart of God that this person is redeemed. David immediately knows that he sinned against the Lord. He no longer is trying to justify his actions or explain why he did what he did. His quick condemnation of the rich man put him, his own condemnation of him, put him in a situation where he had to admit he was without excuse. That's when the unrepentant man of God was persuaded. As I begin to, to wrap up here, I want to tell a story of my own. That's not my story. Some of you may, I'm sure, may be familiar with this story. Uh, it's told in, there's many different versions of it, but it's called the elephant and the rope story. A gentleman was walking through an elephant camp, and he spotted that the elephants weren't being kept in cages or held by the use of chains. All that was holding them back from escaping the camp was a small piece of rope tied to one of their legs. As the man gazed upon the elephants, he was completely confused as to why the elephants didn't just use their strength and break the rope and escape the camp. They could easily have done so, but instead, they didn't try to at all. Curious and wanting to know the answer, he asked the trainer nearby why the elephants were just standing there and never tried to escape. And the trainer replied, when they were very young and much smaller, we used the same size rope that we're using now to tie them. And at that age, it is enough to hold them. As they grow up, they are conditioned to believe they cannot break away. They believe the rope can still hold them, so they never even try to break free. I got two things out of that story. Two things I believe this story illustrates, and maybe you can think of another. One is that truth can be very different from your belief. They were conditioned to believe that they're unable to break free from the rope. The truth is, they were more than capable of doing that. So it was their belief limiting them and keeping them bound. Second, your belief that you can't break free from destructive behaviors in your life is a self-imposed limitation that isn't rooted in truth. Your belief that you can't break free from destructive 
behaviors in your life is a self-imposed limitation that isn't rooted in truth. It's a rope tethering you that shouldn't be able to. Are you hearing me? The only reason that the elephants weren't breaking free and escaping from the camp was that over time they adopted the belief that it just wasn't possible. So I want you to think today, are there any ropes? Is there ropes in your life? Is God speaking to you right now? Is there a belief that you have adopted? Maybe you were conditioned to believe a certain way. Maybe things in your life happened that caused you to adopt certain beliefs. Or you've tried and tried and tried in different ways and failed each time. So you've just rested in the, in, on the position of it's just not possible. I want, I want you to know that that's not truth. The truth is in God's word. Jesus is our redeemer. He's the one who can set you free. And who the son sets free is free indeed. Therefore, it is essential to examine and let go of whatever beliefs are limiting us and holding us back from the freedom that's available to us in the Lord. Amen? I wasn't too sure about using a story about elephants and then having y'all kind of put yourselves and there are places that could, that could be problematic and could cause some offense. But I'm hoping y'all would look past that. Not put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. It's not as much about the elephants as it is about the beliefs. It's not as much about the elephants as it is about whatever's holding you bound. And if belief has the power to limit you because you can't see yourself beyond the end of that rope, then imagine what faith can do. What, imagine if you can turn that belief from believing a lie to believing the truth. There's no limit to what God can do. Imagine the victory that's available to you in that. I hope you're hearing that today. Jesus said in John 8, verses 31 and 32, if you abide in me, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the what? And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. You know, hearing the truth won't set you free. Simply speaking the truth won't set you free. Knowing the truth. Not just a mentalist sin, not just an acknowledgement of it, but knowing the truth. There's an intimate relationship with the truth. I am, I received that truth and I am committed to being a doer of that truth. I'm embracing that truth. I know it to be truth and I am incorporating that truth in my life. We do that, there's freedom there. And finally, I just one of my uh, favorite passages, uh, this includes one of my favorite verses. John 17, starting at the 17th verse, this true thing, Jesus says, sanctify them. He's talking about his disciples. 
and those who would become disciples from the word that they preached. That reverberates throughout time, includes you and I. Sanctify them in what? The truth. What is truth? Your word. Your word, O oh God, is truth. So he wants us to be sanctified in his word, for his word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Listen to this, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, there is divine purpose in calling us to be sanctified in the truth. In, in calling us to renounce and, and turn away from beliefs that are rooted in falsehoods, in false narratives, in deceptions and lies, and let our beliefs be tethered to the truth. Because as we become intimately familiar with the truth and we're walking in that truth, it ultimately will be such a testimony to those who are not walking in faith in Christ Jesus to the point that the world may believe that God sent Jesus. Right? You can preach the gospel, but how we conduct ourselves and live our lives, that is a testimony that preaches a powerful message and confirms who Christ is in a lost and dying world. A world that when you come to them and tell them that Jesus is Lord, they may not accept that message. But they can see how you live. They can they can read the story of your life and see the truth woven in it in a way that can prick their hearts. Just like David's heart was pricked because of a story that got him angry. How could that rich man do what he did to that poor, poor man? He only had one. And he took the one that he had when he had hundreds. It broke through a hard heart. And when it broke through, he was convicted and he repented and acknowledged that he sinned before God. You may not be the greatest speaker. You may not be able to walk on water, <laughs> do any, you know, you may not have ever done any great miracles and whatnot, but, but what God has done for you, what he's done in your life, which is real, that, that has transformed you and you made you a new, creature, new creation. You're not who you used to be. Not saying you're perfect, but you're on a different mission now. You used to live a self-serving, self-gratifying life, but you've repented from that, and now you're living for Jesus. You're going to stumble, and you're going to fall, and you're going to make mistakes, but when you do, you're going to get back up again. You're going to dust yourself off, and you're going to get right back at it. You're going to confess your sin when you sin. You're going to confess it and repent, and God's going to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness, and he's going to put you right back on the right path. And as you are messing up and standing back up, you're still making progress as you're walking with God. And there's a story being woven there. There's a story being told. And there are people who you will encounter and your story will break through to somebody. 
You are still a vessel of honor fit to be used by God. And your story matters. Your redemption can lead to the redemption of others. So when we're engaging with people outside of the Christian faith, or we're engaging with Christian brothers and sisters who, like David, are living in unrepentant sin, You know, let's lift them up before God. Let's not get angry at them. Let's not get offended by them. But let's not be afraid either to be used of God to confront that which we know to be destructive behavior in our brother and sister's life. We want them redeemed. We don't want them stuck and in bondage. So ask God for unique ways to communicate his message to believers and un- to unrepentant believers and to non-believers. Using, who knows, God may give you a way to do what Nathan did with David. Find an effective way to persuade someone else Persuade someone else. To persuade an unrepentant sinner, an unrepentant Christian who's walking in sin to repent, or to persuade someone who needs to be reconciled with God to get reconciled with them. There's a persuader in you, right? Every one of you, there's a persuader in you. There's a persuader in you. You're an ambassador of God, all of you, persuading people to get right with God. I'm going to ask you to stand. Hallelujah. And today I'm just going to uh, say a closing prayer and and bless the food and we'll transition over. Um, But I will hang back if there's anyone who wants to talk about anything that God put in your heart today uh, during the service and I'll be happy to pray with anyone um, who needs prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word of truth and I, I echo your prayer, Jesus, concerning we, your disciples, as you pray to the Father in John 17. I pray that we are all sanctified in the truth. The word of God is truth. Lord, I pray that we are sanctified in your word. In order for us to be sanctified in your word, we've got to be in your word. And we've got to have an attitude and a determined mindset that we want to know your word, that we may walk according to it. Give us the grace by the working of your Holy Spirit, O God. Give us the grace. Give us the divine enablement, Lord, to immerse ourselves in your word. In such a way that we are, that we abandon false narratives and false beliefs that are limiting us and limiting our ability to grow in you and to to grow in the knowledge of you and and, and to walk with you in a deeper and more intimate way and to be used of you, Father God, to have greater impact on lives and in our community and in our various circles of influence, Father God. We want to be used by you. But when we are used, we want it to be the fruit of having been sanctified in your word. So I pray your blessing on everyone here today, Lord. Every man, woman, and child, Father God.
that they will know, every one of them, how much you love them. How much you care for them, Lord. How much you've done for them. But I pray also, Lord, that despite every sin, every mistake that's represented here today, that each and every one of us knows the salvation of the Lord. Your power and your willingness to redeem every one of our stories where redemption is needed. Let everyone here leave strengthened in their faith, encouraged. Knowing that they are vessels of honor fit to be used by you, Lord. And Father, I lift up our fellowship that we're going to have, Lord. beginning here in a few minutes after the service that's been so lovingly prepared for us. Lord, I pray your blessing on everyone that's had a hand in preparing this meal and the decorations, the setup. Everyone, Father God, who has served to make this possible, and they did it from hearts of love. I just pray that you would bless them a hundredfold, Father God. Lord, I ask you to bless. I ask you to bless the food that has been prepared for the nourishment of our bodies, and we give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.